This is the Dungeon Master's Handbook. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Dungeon Master's Handbook. I'm Michael Shorten, Chicago Wiz. Thank you for taking some time to listen to my podcast. Today we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk about my other nine-year campaign. Uh, not the uh, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons one, but rather we're going to talk about the one-on-one solo game with my wife, uh, known as the Princess Wife, also known as Angie. Um, thought it'd be fun to talk a little bit about that and some of the fun things about it and challenges of running a solo game. So why would I run this? Well, it started about the same time that I did my, started thinking about my um, AD&D campaign back in uh, 2009. I had stumbled on an old map that I had made long, long ago, like about the mid-90s, when I was thinking about playing uh, Dungeons and Dragons again. And I was also playing something called MUD. Uh, MUD is an old multi-user dungeon. It's text-based. You log in with a program like Telnet or some other uh, text-based interface. And this MUD was called Akia. And uh, I just, you know, started spinning up a little world out of my head based on some of the locations and things that uh, I had run into in Akia. And... Um, I ran into this back in 2009. I thought, gee, wouldn't it be neat to run a campaign on this? Who could I play with? Because I'm already, you know, designing a world for my AD&D campaign. Well, I thought, hey, why not try a game with my wife? Now, Angie had some experience in playing AD&D back in her high school years, but really it wasn't something that her or I had ever talked about doing together. But I thought, why not try? And she agreed to it. And so I I started to think, well, how can I make this simple? Advanced Dungeons & Dragons has a pretty big learning curve in in some aspects. How can I make this simple and fun? And play it in the way that I like to play D&D. Well, um, for rules, I started off using the simplest D&D rules I could find at the time. And uh, that was called Microlight 20. Now, back in about 10 years ago, Microlight 20 and Microlight rules were, they were kind of a fad. You know, a lot of people were interested in it. Um, it's basically a D&D game that is based on a couple of sheets of paper, if that much. The, the rules are extremely simple, uh, D20 based, as you can imagine. Uh, the, there wasn't a lot there to do with uh, the characters and whatnot, but it was surprisingly rich in that you could really have a fun game with it. So I started her off with that, and I presented the game to her in such a way that she didn't really need to know the rules. You know, I set up the situation, told her what was going on, asked her what she wanted to do, and if there was ever a time that she needed to roll dice, I'd just tell her what dice to roll, and she'd roll, and away we went. Um, Easy peasy. And uh, we played like that for a couple of years. About 2009, 2010, I switched to using Swords and Wizardry White Book. 
Now that is a very stripped down version of Dungeons and Dragons. It's what they call a retro clone. Uh, if you don't know what that is, that is basically uh, writing or rewriting a D&D uh, or any other game in such a way that it mimics the uh, older rules and older versions, but it's brought up to date maybe with some modern formatting, a little bit better uh, spelling and, and uh, grammar and English um, in the case of original Dungeons and Dragons, um, and just generally a little bit more accessible for today's audience. So um, I use Swords and Wizardry White Book. Uh, this was a retro clone of the original Dungeons and Dragons, as written in 1974. It's really a great version of D&D. It's a lot of fun to play with, and it's a lot of fun to create your own game based on this. It's a nice little tool book. Anyway, so I switched to that. Um, that was more for me to be able to grow the campaign and do a lot more things with it. Um, uh, Microlite 20 was great, but I wanted to have access to spells and use some of the other supplements and things that I had laying around. And it was just easier to do that with uh, coming up to a more fuller version of D&D, if you will. Anyway, so she didn't care about any of this. As long as I told her what the roll, which was basically a D20 and a D6, she was happy. So, I've got a campaign world, I've got a version of D&D, and we set off. So, what's been fun about this? Um, for me, it's been quality time and a shared story and a shared uh, experience. Uh, this is something that uh, we have very, very full dynamic lives, and it's nice to be able to carve aside a couple of hours and sit down with Angie and play this game. Um, you know, another reason was I got to share something with her that she saw me spending a lot of time on. You know, she watches me you know, work on my uh, uh, big campaign. She sees me paint the miniatures, go to these conferences. She watches me do this podcast. Um, this was a way of being able to share some of that with her. Um, it wasn't something that she never necessarily thought that she was interested in, but once we got to doing it, she got to really like it. Now, this campaign has gone through fits and starts over the years, um, but uh, we've had quite a bit of fun. Right now, I'd say the average is once a month to two months that we play on average. Uh, sometimes it's even longer. So what challenges have I ran into in running a one-on-one D&D campaign with someone? Um, kind of comes into the fact that when you have one person as the party, um, challenges are going to become quickly deadly. Encounters can become quickly deadly. And situations that may lend themselves to collaboration become harder to, uh, to get through, such as puzzles or things that you have to do when, you know, it's nice to send the party to town and split up and go do these things. Well, now you have one person doing that. Um, and plus, with it being only her and I at the table, there's not other people that she can bounce ideas off of and hear their ideas and, you know, come up with a strategy. So one of the biggest solutions I came up with was to allow her to have a lot of hirelings and followers. Um, this helps to even things out. 
um, as, as a hireling or follower, I can give her input, not necessarily leading her to the solution, but putting myself in the position of that hireling or follower, I can maybe, you know, give her some ideas based on their uh, viewpoint. Right now, she has a couple of uh, fighter types, mercenary types as uh, henchmen. She has a cleric who is a follower of hers. And uh, she has a couple other hirelings that have come on. And they can all give her a unique viewpoint that maybe will help her come to a solution. You know, like, okay, we're surrounded, guys. What do we do now kind of thing. Um, I also have a main NPC that's been with her. Now, this main NPC isn't like a Mary Sue kind of NPC, meaning that, you know, nothing can happen. This NPC can and has almost died before. Um and this main NPC is meant to be somewhat of a foil for her, um, someone that you know she can uh, bounce ideas off of, and it's easy for me to enact things, hooks, ideas, um, maybe help her over some of the bumps by using this main NPC for her to uh, travel with. Now. What's kind of interesting is that in the game, the relationship between the uh, main NPC and her is kind of echoing our marriage, um, even down to the wisecracks and ways that we banter with each other. So it's been a little odd, but but kind of fun how that's all, all worked out. Um, it, it's been nice, though, that, uh, you know, I can give her ideas. You know, I, I've been playing for a long time. She hasn't. If she's stuck on something, then this main NPC can give her ideas. Well, you know, I've heard of this, or what do you think of that? And she has that resource there to help her because she doesn't have, you know, other people sitting around the table with her. Um, another challenge that I, I touched on was uh, puzzles. You know, um, when it's just one-on-one, -on -one, uh, give you an example, she was at a uh, tunnel and there was a door that had a puzzle in it where she had to take pegs and put them in a certain order. Um, there were a lot of clues laying around as to what to do. Now, if there had been a group, different people would have had different ideas and probably would have come up with a solution. Um, she got stuck. So having the many followers and the main NPC was a way of saying, well, what do you think about this? Well, what if we tried that? And I didn't lead her to the solution that I gave it to her, but I did through these PC, through these NPCs and followers asking her questions, she came up with the solution herself. One final problem that I have to worry about is, well, this is D&D, and I do run a lethal game of D&D in the old school style, so... Her PC could die. Um, in fact, it's nearly happened once already, and uh, there were a lot of grim faces between her and I at the table. I remember that very well. Uh, she was not getting good rolls. She was facing a pretty powerful creature, and uh, it looked kind of dicey, but fortunately, uh, she made it through. Um, I don't have a really good solution for this one. Um, I have given her the options of rules like sacrificing the shield that I mentioned in my AD&D campaign. Um, I may even allow a save versus death 
if she uh, falls below zero hit points. But um, at some point, she knows that she could very well die. And uh, I think, um, given the story that she's worked up and, and the way the campaign has gone, we might have a family member step in so she could continue the campaign. Uh, certainly don't want it to die <laughs> with her. Um, haven't really given that a lot of thought um, or done much with it, but it is something I'm aware of. Um, I don't fudge the dice, though. I uh, I do my rolls in front of her, and uh, she knows darn well that, uh, you know, a set of unlucky rolls and could be having a bad day. Um... One other thing, which is kind of funny, but it does happen, is the fallout. Um, I've learned to have to live with a good amount of grumbling after the game and in between games when uh, I, as the evil DM, have thwarted the plans of uh, my princess wife, uh, including taking things from her. And um, she does not like it that I'll take things from her in-game, of course. Um, I took two powerful artifacts from her, um, and, and I still hear about that, the comments of how can you live with yourself. Um, she uh, had two powerful artifacts called Dragonstones, and um, an evil mage wanted them. And so I played this evil mage to the hilt using his spells the best way they could. Um, she had a series of uh, kind of unfortunate tactical decisions and unlucky rolls, and both of those artifacts were taken from her. And now she's trying to figure out how to get them back. Um, didn't have to sleep on the couch for that one, but uh, it was uh, it's something she's never <laughs> let me forget that I did to her. Um, it definitely was, if you remember the movie uh, Indiana Jones, it definitely was an Indy Jones Belloc uh, moment when I got the uh, artifacts. And uh, I'm sure after she hears about me talking about this on the podcast, I'm going to hear about it again. <laughs> um one of the other uh, uh, things that um, uh, I've, I've done is I've gotten her interested in other aspects of the game. Um, she hasn't shown a lot of interest for the rules, um, but she does like knowing about uh, how my other campaigns work. Um, she loves to see me paint the miniatures and even helps me out with some of the color choices. Um, and, uh, you know, the... By and large, she's content to have a game where she can play and imagine and tell me the things that she wants to do, and she doesn't have to worry about the rules all that much. So uh, this has worked out very nicely. So what would I recommend to someone who is thinking about doing a one-on-one -on -one game? Well, first off, I say go for it. It is a lot of fun. Um, it is surprisingly, um, I don't want to use the term intimate in a bad way, but it is a very intimate thing where you and this other person are sharing a game, sharing a story, and sharing some quality time together. And uh, certainly in this day and age, that's not a bad thing. Um, if I were going to run a one-on-one -on -one for someone else, uh, starting out, I would find one of the beginner dungeons, one of the ones that uh, especially made like in a quick start or, um, you know, in your rule book, if it comes with a good sample dungeon, I would use that because 
more than likely there are good things that the player can learn from, especially if they're brand new to this and you're running a one-on-one -on -one with them. Um, I used the uh, sample dungeon out of the 1977 Holmes uh, Basic Blue Book. Uh, that was uh, the very first dungeon that she had ever went into, and uh, she had a blast. Um, I would recommend making some NPCs that your uh, player can have a posse with. Um, it's going to give them the ability to uh, avoid a lot of issues that I've talked about already. And don't be afraid to present them challenges that force them to use the uh, NPCs or to even gather NPCs. Um, don't make it to where, you know, they only face one goblin. No, have them face a tribe of goblins. You know, make, force them to play the game of D&D. &D. Um, I certainly wouldn't let anyone out on a limb and not, you know, give them advice. Maybe after the game you can talk about it. Um, I, I never tend to worry about metagaming so much, so I have no problem sitting down with Ange and, uh, you know, kind of breaking apart. Well, this happened here. Did you think about this? Did you think about that? Maybe next time you might want to consider this kind of thing. Um, because D&D is also about all of us learning how to be better players and better DMs. And one-on-one, uh, -on -one, it's really a great way to do that. Um, and most importantly, have fun. We have some of the best laughs in our game. Um, and uh, I hear some of the most complaints out of my game, <laughs> such as, don't take my artifacts. Um, but uh, it, it really is a lot of fun uh, to do a one-on-one, -on -one and, and I really encourage it. Well, that's about this for this episode. Uh, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, if there's other things you want to hear about, please write me. Uh, I am me. Um, I'm available on Twitter. I'm available uh, through the websites, through SoundCloud. Um, reach out. Let me know what you think and what you want to hear about. Um, please do subscribe through iTunes or your favorite podcasting app, or keep an eye out on our website, dungeonmastershandbook.wordpress.com. You can also always find us on SoundCloud, uh, search for Dungeon Master's Handbook. And please do share the podcast with your friends if you think they might be interested in hearing about old school campaigning. All right, that's it. So until next time, game on. Game on.